Hi, friends. It's Aubrey Sampson here. If you value and cling to the stories of people walking through difficulties and seeing God in the midst of it, I want to share a way that you can be a part of continuing to bring these stories and other resources to those who are navigating trauma, tragedy, or a major life transition. This summer, we are inviting our listeners to partner with Nothing is Wasted as a ministry and help bring hope to those who are hurting. By donating any tax-deductible amount, you will be a part of not only sharing more stories like the ones you've heard so far on the podcast, but you'll also get the opportunity to get resources like our Pain to Purpose curriculum, masterclasses, mini courses, and so much more into the hands of people who are in deep pain. In the next month, we are seeking 200 people who have been impacted by Nothing is Wasted Ministries to commit to giving $20 per month as a tax-deductible donation. You can donate to our Give Hope campaign and know that your donation will be a part of giving hope to the many and healing to the one by creating purposeful resources that can help others heal. Donate now at nothingiswasted.com slash give hope and be a part of the incredible work here at Nothing Is Wasted in helping people find hope and healing from their pain. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts... Davy Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davy. I'm one of your hosts, and joining me for a couple of really special episodes, a guest co-host, Ken Roberts. Ken, thanks for being here on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Hey, Davy, it's a privilege. I'm not sure I can do much with you know Aubrey. We're going to be a big miss, big gap, but I'm here anyhow. I'm <laughs> glad to be with you. You know, this has been really fun. Our listeners have been able to enjoy. A few different voices as we have been, you know, mixing some different people, different people in. Eric Shoemaker, uh, Vanitha Reisner even took a, an interview for us, and awesome. you'll, be, you'll be hearing from that from Vanitha in a couple of weeks. But Ken, I wanted to bring you on because we're in the middle of this Give Hope campaign. Yep. And man, over the past several months, I would say probably a couple of years, but really it has surged over the past six months. This. Uh, I don't know, almost like new revelation shift, like things that are going on in our ministry. It's been amazing what God has been doing. And so you and I spent a lot of time thinking about that, strategizing about that, trying to discern where God is taking us as a ministry. And now we feel like we've got some clarity on some of that stuff. And we're like, okay, we need to, we need to tell people about this. We need to talk about this. That's why I have you come in and join us. Yeah. You know, I've known the ministry since 2017. And then I've been kind of a part working with you in different ways since 2019. But I would I'd agree with you, man, the last uh, you know, six months or year, we're in a whole different place, a lot of acceleration, a lot of exciting things, you know, but we're in between, which often happens. We're in no way we want to go, a lot of open doors, but how to get right. there and making sure we have what we need to get there. So it's really, it's an exciting time. I was just telling you earlier, I could hardly sleep last night because my mind's going so many ideas and you know thoughts. So it's it's very very exciting. So I'm I'm glad to be here with you. That's amazing. Many of you guys speak Enneagram, and Ken is an Enneagram five wing four, and so he is like our strategic thinker. 
when it comes to and so I'll I'll frequently get these like download sessions that you have at you have these like special revelations at night. And then the next day I wake up in the morning, I'm doing my quiet time and then I start scrolling through Slack or scrolling through our emails. And you've got this like four-page download that you got from the Lord the night before. And I'm yeah. like, oh, here we go. I know this is gonna be this is gonna be rich. Yeah, that kind of happened last night. So but I'm glad to really to serve you and serve the team in that way. It's very exciting. Well, we love having you a part of the team. And, um, you know, Ken has been a part of the team for a while and he's been a part of my life for a while. And if you've, if you stepped into the ministry at all, you have interacted with Ken on some level, whether it be if you're a pastor or a church leader and you've jumped on one of our pain to purpose church leader Zoom calls, Ken leads our local church effort in that side of things. He's a local church development director. And then he's also our coaching director. So if you have interacted at all with any of our certified coaches, Ken is the guy that developed all of that. He was the one that came in and helped us to be able to meet the needs of uh, so many different people who are going through so many different types of pain points. I remember, Ken, when you came and you were like, hey, I love what you and Christy are doing with coaching. It's not sustainable and it's not scalable. You can't coach everybody. There's so much need out there. And we were like, well, Ken, can you help us develop other coaches? And so it's been amazing the journey that we've been on together in this. Yeah, even those two areas, you know, Davey, we've seen, you know, a lot of growth. We're coaching right more people right now on the pain to purpose, you know, coaching tracks than we've ever done. And we're seeing more churches come online too with the pain to purpose, you know, license and implementing it as well. So again, we just have seen a real growth cycle happen in that area. And I would, the other thing I would say is again, we all have on the team, we have a great team. Everybody's different. They all bring something to the table. And that's part of, I think of, you know, the strength of us right now is that the contribution is not just, you know, a couple of us or, but everybody has their own place around the table and really are uh, leaning in in a really, really good, healthy way of contribution. So yeah. it's fun. It is a lot of fun. We have a great interview today, by the way, Ken. And I think it's a very appropriate interview yeah. for us to have this conversation because our interview today is someone that I've been wanting to talk to for a while. Um, ever since what took place in her life took place. And, you know, it was very public, at least for those of us who are in kind of church world or yeah. hearing about the happenings or that are going around church world. And that conversation we have today is with Brandy Wilson. Mm, and um, some of you guys may be familiar with her story. Maybe you heard, it, especially if you were in church world during the time that she and her husband Pete were pastoring Crossroads Church in Nashville. And, um, and, and then sadly, uh, Pete made the decision to step away from pastoring the church and step away from the family as well. And so Brandy comes on to talk with us. She's now sharing about this a lot more publicly. She's written written a book that she has uh, actually at this point has just released that book. And um, it's, it's an incredible resource, but I think it opens up our eyes a lot to the pressures that are uh, church leadership and that surround that, that position of responsibility and then also in general, though, aside from church leadership, just the pressures that surround marriage and family and what can happen if you even just get a degree off and over time, how there can be a, a you know, just a division between the two of you in this, in this beautiful oneness that God has given us in, in marriage. And so it's, a, I think, a very critical conversation that we're having with Brandy. I'm really glad that she's having, she's talking about this. And she's opening up so much about this. Many of you guys who are listening, you've experienced, whether it's some kind of betrayal from a spouse, sexual betrayal. In fact, Ken, I mean, speaking of coaching, that's one of the largest areas 
that we receive inquiries about when it comes to coaching. It is. Yeah, that is a big one uh, that, you know, probably connected to, to some type of trauma. Mm. But it really is huge. Yeah. And lots of people in, you know, need and desire to be healed. Yeah. Divorce, um, separation, you know, and, and here's the thing. And, and we get into this a little bit with the conversation with Brandy, but like, I think often we're not talking about what does it look like for redemption to take place after these things have happened in your life. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately the church doesn't talk about this a whole lot. A church will talk a lot, especially in marriage series, series, relationship series about how to date, how to get married, how to stay married. But what about when like, it doesn't go the way that you had planned and how do you, how do you bounce back from that? How do you, walk in alignment in God's redemptive story that he has for you and really recognize who you are as a son or a daughter of God, not defined by whatever circumstance, situation, crisis that you've just walked through. Well, as you're aware, I work with a lot of, you know, church leaders. That's what I've been doing, you know, kind of full-time for the last seven years. And then with through nothing is wasted. So I'm really listening, looking forward to, you know, hearing this interview and learning myself from somebody who's walked through it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great conversation. If this conversation really helps you and you want to tap into a little bit more of the resources that we have and nothing is wasted, you can go to nothingiswasted.com. There's so many things that we have there. We want to help you as you're partnering with God to take back your story. Brandy is an excellent example of partnering with God to take back her story. So why don't you lean in and listen to this conversation I have with Brandy Wilson. Brandy, it is so great to have you joining us on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm so happy to be with you, Davey. Thanks for the invitation. You know, this is a conversation I've been wanting to have for a while. I don't know if you know this, but when I heard the news of what was going on with your family and going on at the church there, you know, obviously I was at New Spring Church on staff for a while. So I was very familiar with the ministry that you guys were doing. And I heard the story and Man, I think at that point we had either just started Nothing Is... I don't remember where it was in the timeline, but I remember early on in the Nothing Is Wasted podcast going, I would love to have a conversation with Brandy Wilson at some point when she's ready. And I just kind of wrote it up on on the wall. And then lo and behold... Our content producer comes to me and goes, hey, Brandy wants to have, we're having a conversation. She's coming out with a book. And I'm like, it's like a, it was like a prayer fulfilled. I hate the fact that we're having conversations about this because that means we went through something so devastating and life upending. But I also love the fact that we get to join in a kindred spirit right now and we get to talk about how the Lord has shown up in our lives. So thank you. There's something about, um, suffering and and having a conversation with someone else who's been through immense suffering that creates a really beautiful connection yeah. um, that is for sure Holy Spirit led. Yeah. Well, can you tell us for the, the folks who maybe aren't familiar with you before we dive into your story and where God has shown up in that, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself now? What, where, where do you live? What are you doing? What yeah. are you involved in? Yep. I am a single mom of three sons. They are 22, 19, and 17. They have grown up way too fast. Um, And we live in Franklin, Tennessee. All three of my kids play football. So two two older sons play D3 football um, and at at separate schools. Let me add that. They couldn't make it easy on me and go to the same university. (laughs) So they are at two different universities. And then then we get some kind of a discount if we're all going to the same one or something. Come on, guys. Um, (laughs) Then I have a son who's a junior in high school and I am just true and true, a football mom. And I like to say I'm classy until kickoff. (laughs) Um, And I am the only person in the stands on Friday night with a cowbell. 
Um, but I love that role. Um, the boys and I live in Franklin, Tennessee, which is right outside of Nashville. It's, you know, kind of a modern Mayberry, so to speak. Um, and really love where we live and what we're doing. I work full time for a nonprofit called Leading and Loving It that helps um, equip and help women in ministry thrive in their leadership so that they can lead and love it. Um, And then I work part-time. I like to call it my single mom side hustle as a coach um, who works with, I'm a certified coach who works um, with people who are walking through major life change, who feel stuck and can't figure out what their next best step is. Um, And I've also, as you mentioned, authored a book that is coming out um, that I'm super proud of where I just tell my personal story and how Mm -hmm. God chose to show up in my life as I chose to begin again. Wow. Wow. And that book is coming out in July, right? Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yes, July 11th. At the time of this recording where, I mean, you're a couple of weeks I'm from about that launch. Two and a half weeks from that launch. So yeah, I can't Which believe Which you're brave. It. You you told me just off air that you're about to head on vacation. You're going on vacation <laughs> right before the launch of your book. What an amazing <laughs> Wow. Is it is it brave? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's faith filled, is what it is. I think that's what that is. I, I feel like it's very needed. Yes. Yes. Wow. Uh, July will be full throttle for sure. Man, well, congratulations on that. Which we'll talk a little bit more in this conversation about that. I'll go ahead and want to make sure that if you're watching this or listening to this, that you know we've got a link there in the show notes, right underneath the the YouTube video here too. It's called Better Than Okay, Finding Hope and Healing After Your Marriage Ends. And I know there, I know there's so many people, Brandy, who are either they're, they're standing on the precipice of that reality where their marriage is unraveling and they, they don't know if something's going to be able to be turned around. Um, they're fearing divorce is inevitable or they've just experienced divorce. And, you know, I'll say this, um, when my late wife passed away, I had a dream shortly after that she was divorcing me. Yeah. And it conjured up. I woke up and I had all these emotions that I had not, you know, I'd been wrestling with a bunch of other different emotions Correct. with right. her passing. But there was something so devastating, even more about the emotions I was experiencing from that dream, just the rejection and betrayal there. Right. And right. I remember being very confused by that. And a pastor friend of mine said, Maybe you're, God's trying to help you understand what it feels like so you can somewhat empathize with folks who have lost a spouse through divorce. This is a devastating kind of loss. Will you share us with us a little bit about your story? Because yours is very unique, and, it, and it's one that was done, unfortunately, was also in a very public way. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I married my college sweetheart, at the young age of 22, we had dated for three years, um, got married, started a church right outside of Bowling Green, Kentucky, where we had graduated from college. And we were there for five years and then moved to Nashville and started a church, Cross Point Church here in Nashville. And um, it was a really great, it still is, Cross Point yeah. still exists, which I'm very grateful um, that it is continuing to thrive even with what it has walked through but um yeah we moved to nashville we started a church here called cross point and cross point just boomed um it was on 
you know, one of the fastest growing churches in the nation, multiple years. Um, but more than that, I just love the community that we have created. I love where we live in middle Tennessee. Um, I love that people were experiencing God in a way that they hadn't. Um, and the church was just really successful. We ended up having five different locations all over middle Tennessee, um, and I was very involved with the staff. I was very involved with staff wives and females on staff. I was at staff meeting, having lunch with them every Tuesday. I worked from home. So I would go there and office out of the church offices just to, you know, have some face-to-face interaction. Um, and 14 years into that ministry, my husband at the time chose to walk away from the ministry, the church. He chose to walk away from our marriage and also our family unit. Um, and I was devastated. It's life as I knew it ended um, overnight, essentially. Um, and I think we both know that when your life publicly falls apart, it's been falling apart behind the scenes for a while. However, yeah. I never, ever expected the gravity of loss that happened upon his resignation. So he resigned in September of 2016 and um, pretty quickly after divorce ensued, we had been living separated since March of 2016 in-house. And then um, in August, 2016, he had moved. We owned a small farm outside of Nashville that had a cabin and he had moved there. And we were doing um, a trial separation, um, which was recommended by the therapist we were seeing. And um, then in September, he resigned, and the dominoes just started falling pretty quickly after that. So I found myself um, having to put the pieces of my life back together again. Wow. Wow. Man, Brandy, I just, um, I mean, just what, a, what an upending experience. I know that to those of us who are watching it from the outside, it seems so sudden. Mm-hmm. Right, and and you just kind of alluded to the fact that it, anything that looks that kind of sudden usually has some kind of a a um, there were lead indicators, there were things that were going on behind the scenes that you know were already um, unraveling and and were needing to be attended to. I'm curious though for you, um, how to what degree did it feel pretty sudden? I know once once he decided to resign once he decided to step away and step away from the marriage. I'm sure that also had to have some kind of a like almost blindsided type feeling or how did you, how did you experience, how did that impact you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Davey, we were in ministry and we had watched God restore a lot of marriages around us. So I was just convinced that was what was going to happen in my case. I was, you know, daily laying face down in my bedroom floor, begging God to restore our marriage, begging him to, um, you know, make my husband's heart desire to do the work that it was going to take to fix what was broken. Um, And that was not the story that God gave me. And um, I think the hurt that came with that and the level of rejection, I remember, um, you know, in May during that in-house separation, we had to do a trip um, to Vegas for him to speak at a church there. And, you know, we'd been in an in-house separation for three months at this point, sleeping in separate beds, but we had to pretend like everything was okay on this trip. And we had Sunday afternoon free before he, we had a dinner that night and we were sitting by the pool and he, out of 
the blue said, I've never really loved you. And Mm. I remember being gutted and I'm sitting by a pool in Las Vegas where there are hundreds of people and they are having fun and they are enjoying their cocktails and water splashing and people are laughing and music is loud. And my life is crumbling. Um, And just the immense pain of knowing I'd spent 20 years married to someone who told me that they never really loved me. It just, it it took the breath out of me. And I, I, I didn't know how I was going to start again. I think, you know, there's part of me that I now realize that when you're walking through a situation like that, someone, people, when they're making choices, they're hurting the people that they have loved, that they justify those choices by saying things that aren't true, um, by recreating their own personal narrative. Um, But it is really hard to think, man, I gave you 20 years and you didn't love me. Yeah. Wow. Can't Man, I can't imagine that. You know, even as you're saying that, I'm like, you know, exactly what you said. We often experience that people will try to say things to make it feel better for the choices that they're making or, you know, and so I, I can't imagine how much you were left reeling with hoping and holding on to the fact maybe that isn't true. Maybe you, you did, but there was some kind of a divergent moment within this or a you know, series of successive divergent moments that caused you to f- start to feel differently or want to pursue a different path. Right. But then also faced with this statement of, yeah, this whole thing has been a farce. It's not, it's just a house of cards. And I, I just can't imagine how you were feeling in that. What, what kinds of conversations are you having with God at that moment? I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest, Davey. I reached a point where Honestly, I would just lay in bed and say the name of Jesus over and over and over. I was, I lost an immense amount of weight. Um, I was obviously battling anxiety, depression, and I almost felt like a shell of a person. And that night, particularly, um, I'm in the hotel room and it's the middle of the night. I'm by myself. I don't know where he is. And I am so broken that I mean it was probably 45 minutes I just said the name of Jesus over and over and over because I know there's power in the name right um and I couldn't conjure up anything you know a beautiful prayer or powerful prayer anything like that so I just laid in bed and said the name of Jesus and wept wow man you know you um you know in these moments you, you you look back and you go well, let me let me kind of set the context with this. I, w- I just had a counseling session on Monday for me. I told somebody the other day. I just went and saw. I told my mom the other day. I just went and saw a counsel or had a counseling session. She was like, "Oh, for you, haha!" Jokingly, I was like, "Yes, actually, for me, it was a three-hour long <laughs> counseling session because I still believe I consistently need counseling." Same. But yes. she is. Um, this counselor was this therapist was helping me to understand the difference between kind of looking back in the past and learning from the past Mm -hmm. and looking back in the past and feeling shame for the past, right? The the subtle nuances of it. And she uses this language where she says, uh, you know, what don't, don't ask what could have been done about that or what could be done about that. Now ask what needs to be done about that now, you know, what, what needs to be done? Well, if there's nothing that needs to be done about something that happened in the past, there's nothing that needs to be done. Yeah. Can't change it. But I can also look in the future as I go into the next 
situations that may be similar to that and I can understand how I might operate differently or things to look out for. As you look back and you go, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm driving through the windshield, not the rearview mirror in this, right? But when you look back, do you see some some indications, some signs, some hints that would say, oh, I just, I just wasn't looking for, I just got blindsided by that. Now I would recognize those as, there's something going on here. We should probably stop and step back and get some help or. Yeah. And I think there are a couple of things that come to my mind when you ask that question. The first being we had grown up together. So like, and when I say grown up, we met at 18. We dated for three years. We were married for 20 years. So that relationship began when we were kids. Um, And I think you only know what you know. Um, and you only experience what you've experienced and a lot of the dysfunction, um, I allowed because I thought that was normal and a lot of the dysfunction and manipulation and distrust, I probably enabled, um, thinking I was doing the right thing. I'm a two on the Enneagram. So I'm like, you know, partner, companion, helper, um, so unknowingly, I, at the time, probably did allow some things that shouldn't be allowed. Um, and, and and that doesn't mean I didn't push back on certain things. Um, but when you're pushing back in a situation like that, and you're, that is very unhealthy, um, a pushback that would cause change in a normal relationship or cause some awareness that's not the response you're going to get. So I think one is I was super young when I got married and I'm figuring it out as I go. The second thing that I have realized is that when you are married to a well-known prominent pastor, you know, the church had grown because he was really gifted at what he did. Um, And everywhere I go in middle Tennessee, and then because the church was large, honestly, outside of Tennessee, I would run into people who told me how amazing my husband was. Mm. And, you know, he had changed their lives and his message had saved their marriage. And they'd never had someone present God's, um, the story of God to them the way he had. And, and I think there's this point of like, okay, the person I see on stage and the person I live with at home are not congruent. Mm. So everyone around me is telling me how amazing he is. Therefore, I guess I'm the weak link. I'm the, the common denominator of why things at home yeah. aren't great. So I think it took a while for me to break out and to understand yeah, right. um, what the reality of the situation was. Hey friends, I can't tell you how many times we've had someone write in or message us asking us for a list of the podcast episodes and resources we have on a particular topic or pain point. In fact, just the other day, someone asked me, hey, can you point me to all the episodes you guys have on sexual betrayal? Because unfortunately, this person had just recently discovered that this was now part of their story. We get this question so much that we decided to do something about it to make it easier for you. Rather than wading through our entire library of very inspirational content, if I may say so myself, How about if we just give you a list of everything that we have on a particular topic you're looking for? We've done that, built some of these lists, and we call these lists Curated Pathways. With Curated Pathways on topics like grief, 
child loss, sexual betrayal, childhood trauma, widowhood, and more, we've compiled the very best resources from Nothing Is Wasted Ministries all in one place that will speak directly to what you're experiencing right now or what a friend or a family member is experiencing. We've packaged this in an easy way for you to consume it, you to access this material, or for you to send it over to a friend or family member you know who's experiencing a particular pain point right now. Our Curated Pathways will give you access to everything we've created from past podcast episodes to bonus content, masterclasses, live coaching, and everything in between. Let's be honest, when you're facing a crisis, a loss, or a trauma, you just don't have the time or the energy or emotional bandwidth to search for what could help you heal. That's why we've created Curated Pathways, so that you can more directly and quickly access the resources that you need. Now, you can get a taste of what our Curated Pathways are all about by going to nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. But if you're ready to go to the next level on your healing journey, you can access the full library of our resources, including the entire Curated Pathway you're looking for by becoming a Community Plus member. For just $20 a month or $200 a year, you'll have access to the complete collection of Nothing Is Wasted Curated Pathways. As a Community Plus member, You'll be able to access a new curated pathway each month as our collection grows and as we release those. Our team has been working very hard to catalog, index, organize, and distribute our library of content in a way that will be most helpful to you, to your friends, to your family, because we know what it's like to face pain and we want to equip you with the tools you need to find hope and healing as you move from pain to purpose. Join Community Plus today at nothingiswasted.com slash community plus or get a little taste of our curated pathways at nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. Both of those links are here in the show notes. We want to help you partner with God to take back your story. And we're committed to giving you resources that will help you do just that. Suppose someone is in that situation right now and they're beginning to become aware of that. They're kind of coming into understanding of that in their own life. Mm-hmm. How would you advise them to try to address that within their own marriage? I mean, well, I, I know your situation is extremely unique and there's so much right. of the, uh, there's a gamut of experiences for, with everybody. But yeah, suppose you're coming, where you're realizing, wait a minute, this isn't healthy. This isn't right. And right. I need to say something about, I need to address this. I need to try to repair this. What what does that look like? Yeah. Well, I think for sure you need to get a third party involved. Um, I think individual therapy and couples therapy is huge. Um, And I, like you have continued therapy. I'm, you know, seven years out and I still see my therapist on a very regular basis. So I think therapy is great. I think, um, I think I would start recording in a journal some of what you're experiencing to be able to see the pattern there. I think when you see the pattern of that kind of interaction and the unhealth that comes with that type of communication, um, then that helps you to think you're not crazy. I think what ends up happening in scenarios like mine is I spend a lot of time thinking like, I guess I'm crazy. Like I, yeah, that is not what happened, but I'm being told that's what happened. And, Mm. So I think in recording that, um, that ends up helping you see that pattern. So you realize like, this isn't just me. Um, And then 
you know, you need to find trusted people to be able to process with, even outside of that therapist. And I, when I was brave enough to have some very, when I say one or two conversations that I was honest in, I didn't feel like I had to protect him, um, I was hearing similar things from those that were closest to him. So mm-hmm. a lot of things were clicking into place. Um, and then there is a book I read. Um, I read it actually post-divorce, and it it just gave me language for a lot of things. But it's called um, Why Does He Do That? Mm. And the subtitle is Inside the Minds of Angry and Controlling Men. And it's written by a guy named Lundy Bancroft. Um, and okay. he is a therapist who has worked years in situations of verbal and emotional and um, physical abuse. And he's just pulled together all of this research. So it was really great to give me language, um, especially for the the manipulation pieces and the pieces yeah. where I was thinking I was crazy um, to help me understand and see through what was really going on at that time. Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> You know, I know that you probably want to be sensitive about communicating when it comes to your kids. Mm-hmm. But I mean, from your perspective, how in the world do you walk your kids through this? You know, yeah. we'll talk yeah. about in a second, like the ministry side of things. And I mean, gosh, there's so many different faces and for so to speak that we wear in ministry and then groups right. that we're having to lead and trying to figure out how to shepherd in the wake of all of this as well. But what about shepherding your kids through this? Yeah, it, it was... It was so scary to shepherd my kids through this because, you know, their therapist um, said to me, your kids have experienced two divorces, the divorce of their family and the divorce from the church. Their community. Um, So, yeah, they had lost their community as well. So, um, one, I tried to just be super honest with everything that was going on. And when I say honest, I mean age-appropriate honesty. Um, they could only handle so much. And what my oldest son could handle at 14, my youngest son at 9, wasn't ready for. So you have to definitely have those individual conversations to lean in and be honest with what they're able to handle. Um I also had this moment with God really early on. My divorce was final, but I was still living in the same home. I I sold that home a couple of months after my divorce, but um, I was having my quiet time that morning. I was reading in Joshua where the Israelites have finally reached the Jordan and they've been wandering for 40 years and they're getting ready to cross into the promised land, but they're being chased by the Egyptians and um, they reach the Jordan. It's a flood stage. So it is deeper and wider than normal. And um, Joshua tells them that they're going to cross anyway. They're going to carry the Ark of the Covenant. So the first priest who steps into the Jordan, the water, the Bible says, the water piles up in a heap. Mm. Um, and you know, immediately I think laundry because I have <laughs> laundry at all times, but this heap was more like a barrier, yeah. um, of protection. And I think I've read that story so many times, Davey, I'd done that story in the flannel graph in Sunday school when I was a child. So I knew this story, but God just really leaned in in a different way when I was reading this story, because I was so 
lost about how to spiritually lead my kids through this divorce, how to spiritually lead my kids in their relationship with the church and their individual relationships with God. And for me, I felt like I had to do it all. So if we're looking at this story in the Bible, I felt like I had to carry the Ark of the Covenant on my own. I had to step, take that first step into the Jordan on my own. I had to hold back the water on my own. I had to protect my kids on my own. I had to lead them across the Jordan where they know that danger is right behind them on my own. Then I had to step into the promised land on my own. And when I'm praying through this scripture, I so felt God just impress on me like, Brandy, you're doing it all and that's Mm -hmm. not your job. Your job is to stand on solid ground, which is what the Jordan was. Once the priest stepped, it says the riverbed was solid, dry ground. God said, your job is to stand on solid ground and to hold my truth. Your job is to stand on solid ground and to allow your kids to see you love me. Your job is to carry my kingdom so that your kids can see that. My job is to carry the Ark of the Covenant. My job is to hold back the waters and protect your kids. My job is to lead your kids to the promises that I have for their life. And I, it is probably as close as I could say I have audibly heard God in my life say, you might be a single parent, but you are not parenting alone. And it was this power of, okay, I'm not doing this on my own. God is walking this through me. And Davey, I think there is this, as parents, I myself am a believer who does believe that nothing is wasted and that God can give purpose to pain. And if I believe that can happen in my life, then I have to also believe that that's true in my kid's life, Mm -hmm. that the pain that I never wanted for them and the story that I never wanted to be written, um, divorced to be part of their own personal stories, that if I believe God's going to give purpose to my pain, I have to also believe that He's going to do it for my kids as well. Wow. Wow. Man. What's so reassuring too, Brandy, right? I mean, what a weight that just gets lifted off of your shoulders as people are listening to this right now. I can just feel and sense weights just being lifted off of their shoulders saying, you don't have to carry this. This isn't yours to carry. You just take that step and stand on firm ground and watch the supernatural work of the Lord. You know, I love the fact that Ephesians 6 says, when you've done everything to stand, stand. (laughs) It's just, we're just called to to stand. And, you know, other places in scripture, another part of the journey of the Israelites and says that that when they were crossing the Red Sea, God told them this, you will not have to fight this battle. Watch and see. Uh, the, in, the, he says, the Egyptians that you see right now, you will never see again, right? What an assuring, right. assuring right. thing that even when life seems to be surrounding us, that those victories can be had if we just stand and we not try to fight the battle ourselves. Um, yeah. Wow, wow. That's, um, you know, the they lost their community. They lost their church and also... You know, there was a divorce of, of their parents, but, uh, you know, I, I wonder on, I have to imagine on some level you did too as well. You, I mean, of course you lost um, the position that you had, the influence, the leadership that, you know, but there's probably all kinds of secondary losses that are cascading in your own life as you're, yes. 
as this yeah. thing is unfolding. You want to talk about that a little bit, talk about the ministry and the church and just where that left you from a sense of, you know, what you were doing, the, the, this kingdom work that you were doing. And now due to someone else's decisions, you're now, um, you're in the wake of that. Yes. Yes. And I think that was part of the biggest struggle for me is it's someone else's decisions had impacted my life so greatly. Um, And you're right. My community totally changed. Um, I went from being surrounded by thousands of people to only talking to, you know, three people and my therapist on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. And two of the three people, people I talked to didn't live in Nashville. So they lived, you know, one in Vegas and one in Florida. So I, I went from being surrounded by a ton of people to, living a life that was very isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I at times wanted to be completely isolated. I'm an introvert by nature, super relational, but definitely an introvert. So it's easy um, to isolate. And I had to choose not to isolate, yeah. to continue to talk to those people that I trusted in my life. But it really was a rebuilding of community for me. Um, honestly, I really enjoy this, the, you know, what would probably be seen as a smaller life that I live now Hmm. in a smaller community. But I think I learned what it means for people to show up for you. Hmm. Um, I learned what it means to truly be pastored by someone. Um, I had my girlfriend that I do leading and loving it with. She's a pastor's wife in Nevada and she called every single day just to hear my voice. Hmm. And she would say, when I hear your voice and you answer the phone, I can tell what kind of day it is. Um, And I think one of the things my community taught me is that they allowed me to take the time I needed to grieve. And I think often when we are walking as a support system through grief, because we love those people, we want to move them through that grief quicker. Um, And we do it out of love because we hate to see them hurt. And they really gave me the time I needed to grieve. Um, They never hurried me through that. They never told me I wasn't healing quick enough. They never said you should be over that by now. They just allowed that time and they continued to show up in the way that I needed. Um, So I think support system when you're walking through pain in your life is outside of God and a great therapist, it's right up there in the three most important things that you need to have in order to handle that situation in a healthy way. Wow, wow. Which unfortunately, when you are pastoring a church or leading a church, you don't often have that support system. Right, and that's kind of why we started leading and loving it 15 years ago is because we were both pastor's wives of large churches. And it, you know, it becomes this situation of like, I just need to talk to somebody about what's going on, but everyone in my community works for us. So how do I talk to the people who are local? And um, I reached out on Twitter about 15 years ago to my friend Lori and just said like, hey, we read each other's blogs and we're friends on Twitter. I have a situation going on at our church I need to talk to someone about Mm. and I don't have anyone here. And we had an instant connection and a friendship was born and then leading and loving it really grew out of how can we take the friendship we've created when one of us lives on one side of the country and the other is, you know, on the West Coast. How do we give that gift of community to other women in leadership? 
Um, so yeah, I think the one thing about the time we live in is that you can have community with people who don't live in the same city, thanks to cell phones and zoom and FaceTime. Um, and you know, being able to travel a little bit easier than uh, we used to be able to. So yeah, yeah, that community can be created, but you're going to have to look for it and you're going to have to work in order to make that happen. Wow. Well, you don't know this. I I haven't told you this yet. I, I got an opportunity to tell Lori this, but um, right before my late wife Amanda was killed, I mean, it yeah. was probably maybe I mean maybe a month before. Yeah, you guys did some kind of online virtual conference or yes, get together or something. Conference. Yes, and um, she she had just gotten turned on to leading and loving it, and she was I so excited about about that. attended oh. that conference. I I still see her. Lying on you know on our bed with the laptop in front of her, watching it, and just really excited about this ministry that was helping so pastors' wives. And I know it was very meaningful for her. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah. Well, such a what, to me. what you guys are doing is so impactful and so necessary because, as we just said, in church context, church leadership context, you don't often have the support group that you would want. You are the support group for everybody. It feels like. Right, and right. so um, you find yourself in these spaces where you aren't able to uh, talk about what's going on, and so it ends up uh, ends up festering. It ends up usually causing your life to unravel if you don't have a some place, a safe space to be able to talk about that. And so, what you guys are doing is creating that safe space, and it's incredible. Right, right, because we want to help create healthy leaders. Right. We yeah. have seen too often what happens with unhealthy leaders. So. Yeah, we want to be able to help um, create healthy leaders who can, you know, live well, lead well, and finish well. Yeah, yeah. How has that been instrumental for you in your healing journey from this divorce? How is leading and loving it, you know, being a part of that? Talk about it because, frankly, I mean, I watch from afar a little bit going, I wonder if she's still a part of this, I, I imagine you probably had to wrestle through some of those, emo- like, am I still a pastor's wife? And so here I'm leading right. this ministry that's for pastor's wives specifically, you know, talk yeah. to me about that. What, what's your, yeah. what was your experience I, with that? I had two experiences early on that were game changers for me. And one of them is with Lori, um, who you just referenced my best friend. And she very quickly said like, Hey, A title might be gone, a role might be gone, a position no longer exists, but no one can take God's call on your life Mm. except for Him. Wow. And um, I actually have a master's of education. I have taught in the classroom for years when my kids were younger, and I thought that's what I would do again post-divorce. And um, I was taking a couple of master's classes to get my license updated. And Lori just said like, Hey, if we can hire you, will you come and work for us? And we are a small organization. Um, and it worked out where I could, you know, continue to do ministry no longer being, you know, employed by a church. So that her just being that clear on no one takes God's call on your life, but him, that was huge. And then, um, A story I tell in the book that I have not shared, honestly, publicly yet that I love is, um, you know, everything happened pretty quickly. Um, We do an event in Las Vegas every year, the the conference we do, and it's usually, you know, late October. And I was 
I co-lead the conference with Lori. I speak at the conference. Um, and all of a sudden, I, I was just like, I can't do this. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. So I sure certainly can't um, show up out there in Vegas with all of these questions and not many answers. And um, Lori just you know, she kept prodding me a couple of weeks. I canceled my plane ticket and everything. I was wow. not going. And she kept kind of prodding, like, maybe you just show up and sit in the green room. And I'd agree to that. And then two days later, she'd call and say, maybe you just do the welcome with me on stage. <laughs> and then another couple of days would go. So she got me out there. Um, you know, a piece that most people don't know is I actually filed for divorce on a Monday afternoon. Um, after a really terrible counseling session mm. and um, where my husband was very clear, he did not want to continue in the marriage. And I had had a consultation with an attorney and I went that afternoon and signed papers because I had legally been told that it would help me get the upper hand in regards to custody, which was mm. what was most important to me. Yeah. So I go on a Monday afternoon, I sign papers, I fly out on Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. to Vegas to kick off this conference at 2 p.m. Wow. So I filed for divorce, and the only people that knew it outside of my attorney was my best friend, Lori, my other one of my other best friends, Lisa, and my parents. That's it. Wow. No one else knew. So I, I had been very quiet up until this point, Davey. I had... Um, I now look back and realize that God was protecting my voice because I did not have the full truth of the situation. I definitely had assumptions of what was yeah. going on, but I did not have the full truth of the situation. So I really recognize that in hindsight, God protected my voice in a lot of ways, but I had kind of just disappeared. I wasn't on social media anymore. Um, there was a blog that had written an entire article of what happened to Brandy Wilson. Because mm. I had just so disappeared from everything. So, um, I end up that Tuesday afternoon, 2 o'clock, conference kicked off. And I walk out on stage with Lori to host it. And one of the things Lori had said is like, hey, we're going to address the elephant in the room. And I, you know... Luckily, I love her enough that I wasn't offended when she called me the elephant in the room. But that was me. I was the elephant in the room, Davey. <laughs> uh, so wow. she said, we're going to address the elephant in the room. And I just want you to say whatever you are comfortable saying. And you're not alone. I am right there beside you. So if it becomes too hard, I'll carry it. Um, so one, I felt super protected and safe by her, but I walk out on the stage to a thousand women from all over the United States. And honestly, all over the world because we have people who travel from Canada and the mm. Philippines and the UK. Um, and I walked out and I was just super honest. I, I didn't say anything eloquent. I, I said that um, I was no longer a pastor's wife, that my husband had resigned. Mm. I knew that I was no longer going to be a wife. I mm. did not share that publicly, but I knew that. And what I shared with them was the story of the bent woman. And I just mm. said, like, I have lived my life for a long time bent. And I have been looking down at the ground. And that is not the life that God wants for me. And he calls me to stand straight, yeah. as you said, to stand up wow. and to continue to serve him. And, and I told them, I have way more questions than answers right now. Wow. But what I know is that God is still good and that God is still going to use me. And 
I have goosebumps even talking to you about it because their response just was so loving and kind. Mm. And they stood and they applauded and they cried. And that community has championed me in a way that you wouldn't expect since it was founded by two pastor's wives and I was no longer a pastor's wife nor a wife and continued to embrace me and cheer me on in this really beautiful way that, you know, reminds you what community looks like when it's done well. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. We need more stories like that, right? I I wish I could do that for every divorce person, every person walking through a divorce and who's broken and betrayed and has experienced that type of loss just to be able to cheer them on where they feel that love and that protection and that safety of community. Yeah. Yeah. Because unfortunately in the church, often the experience is not that, Right. you know, it's often met with some kind of whether it be suspicion or some kind of non-acceptance or some kind of, you know, judgment or presupposition. And so you end up after a divorce, losing your community, you know? Um, And and the, you know, it happens in the world too. Like you lose friendships, you lose, because you, maybe as a couple, you hung out with these couples and then they don't know how to, but. For sure. But it it shouldn't happen in the church, right? Like we should know how to handle that. But I'm curious from your experience, what would you, if you were talking to, you know, a large gathering of church leaders about how the church should handle divorce or what you've seen, what would you say? Yeah, I I think I would, one of the things I think is helpful is just to, I mean, this is a little tweak, but add that into messages that are Mm. from stage. Add, we will say like your marriage might be struggling, but it's rarely said like your divorce decree came in the mail and you Mm. don't know what to do, or you don't have your kids this year at Christmas and you are heartbroken. Mm. So I think continue to add that language in, and it's language that you don't know if you haven't experienced it. So I understand why it's not necessarily included. But I think add that language in where it becomes as common as the other, you know, piece um, experiences of suffering that we list. So add that language in. And I think continue to let divorced people know they're welcome. Single moms, single dads, to allow them to know that there's a space for them. Um, there are lots of great groups out there for people who've gone through divorce, but you don't want to feel like that's the only spot for you. You don't want to feel like as a divorced person when you walk into a church that, oh, we have this one group for divorced people, and that's where you need to be. Um, And then I think for the people sitting in the pews, the thing about writing a, I guess there aren't many pews in churches anymore. It's more like chairs. (laughs) But for the people who are sitting in the chairs and in the congregations of churches, like think about the divorced people in your life because we all have them. Um, if you haven't experienced divorce yourself, you have someone you love who has or is experiencing that. And I really wanted, you know, the book to help those support people know how they could come alongside. Mm. And for me, I've rarely gone to church alone. Um, I've had people who've said like, hey, we're going to go to church. You want to come and sit with us? Or I've reached out to a married friend and said, Hey, can I sit with you guys at church this morning? Oh, so yeah. you don't have to be alone. Um, ask somebody if you're visiting a new church to attend with you. Um, people don't know what you need unless you ask. So be brave enough to step out and just say, Hey, will you go try this new church with me one weekend? 
um, because people are willing to show up for you. Hey friends, I wanted to share a special invitation with you, our Nothing Is Wasted podcast community. I'm sure by now you've seen the power of stories like these in encouraging you along the way in your own difficult valley. You don't have to experience the same pain point to gain insight and healing from stories of others who have walked through painful circumstances and who have found hope. This summer, we want you to partner with us to make even more stories like this one be heard. We believe in not only the power of hearing others' journeys, but also in gathering people together to talk about their stories, as well as learn healing biblical principles in order to know what to do with our pain. That's why we created the Pain to Purpose course for individuals and groups to have a proven path to walk through their pain. I want you to hear what an impact the Pain to Purpose course and and all of our other Nothing is Wasted resources are having on my friend, Pastor Damon Howell and the church that he pastors, the Blended Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Take a listen to this. As a pastor, it's also important that I come alongside people and uh, we actually run the Pain to Purpose program here at the Blended Church. And it has been absolutely incredible to see the lives that have been touched and changed uh, through the program. We've run it multiple times and uh, I could go on for hours uh, as to the number of people who have been able to identify their pain, uh, work with that pain, uh, work through that pain and come out on the other side, understanding their purpose that God has for them. Isn't that incredible to hear how God can take our pain and reveal newfound purpose and bring healing. We love hearing stories like Damon's about what God is doing through Nothing Is Wasted Ministries in churches across the country and even the globe. If you're ready to be a part of this hope-giving campaign, join us by donating any amount at nothingiswasted.com slash give hope. And together we can offer healing for many, hope for one. We're looking for 200 individuals who would join with us at a partnership level of $20 a month or more in this Give Hope campaign. So nothingiswasted.com slash give hope. I think, you know, when I think about it as a communicator, how much my communication shifted when I walked through pain and the more I've had conversations on this podcast or with other people who have walked through pain, and I think sometimes as pastors, we, we, um, we isolate ourselves from that. We kind of protect ourselves from, because we surround ourselves with people that are, you know, in, in pastor world, a lot of times you think of like, okay, who are the high caliber leaders that I can gather around because I want these like really, yeah. you know, making it a big impact in our church and our community. And so they tend to gravitate and pull people around them who are like-minded, similar, and I wonder what it would look like if pastors, church leaders, pastors' wives would begin to gather around them, the hurting, the marginalized, the right, yes. the people well, who have experienced this pain. Then it's in their, it's like in their psyche as they're communicating because they know yes. this is the reality of most of my church: blended right. families, divorce, loss, childhood yes. trauma, all of these different things that people are experiencing. And God's word speaks to all of that. Yes. Yes, it does. And, you know, I probably recognize that sitting in church um, two Easter's ago. I attend a micro church now, so I'm a mm. mega church girl in a micro church world. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> the pastor and there are probably 150 people in our church, 150 people there that Easter. Um, and 
it was so interesting because out of that group of people, two of us are divorced now. Mm. Also divorced from former pastors. So that's interesting too. But when our pastor was on stage communicating and he was giving a list of ways that we need God to show up in our lives, he said, maybe the divorce decree came in the mail Mm. and you can't get out of bed. And I remember thinking like, this might be the first time I've heard divorce listed from stage as a Mm. reality. Um, So, yeah, I think tweaking language to be able to include divorced people and even blended families. That's right. So, for people who have moved, you know, and gotten married and they're trying to figure out new family, let's just not build everything around the traditional family unit. I. My family unit consists of me and my three kids. It's a non-traditional family unit. However, we are a family. We have redefined family where nothing is missing. That's right. Um, and I'm grateful for that. Mm. Wow. Uh, how have you had to maybe reorient when it comes to identity? You know, you referenced a little bit, there were these certain titles and Lori really had this big yeah. moment where she you know, spoke into your life and that. But you've got these titles as pastor, pastor's wife, wife, right? You've got these different that you have for years, you had oriented everything around those particular, whether you realize it or not, you, that's your whole effort is into those particular arenas and fields. And so your whole identity can get caught up in that. What was that recalibration like afterwards for you? Yeah, that was huge. As I said earlier, I'm a two on the Enneagram. So I'm a total helper support person. Um, and poured too much of myself into being a really good support system to um, my ex-husband. And when that happened, yeah, I had to get to know myself again. And part of that, my therapist was really great to lean in and just say like, do you even know what you want? And do you know what you need? And I realized I didn't. So I very basically started asking myself on a regular basis, like, hey, what do I want and what do I need? So if I was walking into a conversation with somebody, what do I need to happen in this conversation? And what do I want the outcome to be? Um, All the way down to like planning a vacation for me and my kids, you know, because vacations are different. There's one adult managing three kids now. Like, what do I need out of this vacation for me? What do I want out of this vacation for Hmm. my family? (laughs) <laughs> so it just, that redefining of identity for me was just getting to know myself again and to wow. be able to read what was going on internally and to be able to process the emotions. I tend yeah. to take on the emotions of other people in the room and other people in my life. So to really just get in touch with myself again. You know, Brandy, talk, talk to me a little bit about one of the things that, that my wife now, Christy, you know, she, part of her story is divorce. Mm-hmm. She, her first marriage ended in divorce she started attending the church that I was pastoring at the time. That's how I ended up, you know, meeting it and getting to know her. But she was pretty decided about, I want to just serve in the back recesses of our church because she was experiencing a lot of shame over her divorce. And that definitely accompanies so much. I mean, so many times you hear just the idea that I can no longer be used by God in the same way because I've experienced this in my story. And that was something that she she actually would say, you know, I would walk in the church and feel like I had this scarlet A on my forehead because it's just me and my daughter walking in and checking her into kids. So she'd go serve as far away from visibility as possible. And then the irony of the Lord, he brings her out of visibility and she becomes the pastor's wife, you know? Right, right. But I just, I wonder how you've had to wrestle through some of that shame. Yours is on a much grander level on that 
side. I mean, very public. And so t- tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. And I think um, I didn't realize that shame was something the majority of divorced people felt until mm. I started talking to more people who had been through divorce. And what I realized is if we were at a coffee shop or a restaurant, that their voice would drop when they said they were divorced. So we'd be in regular wow. conversation like, yeah, so my kids are 10, 12, and 14, and I, I got divorced three mm. years ago. And then they'd come back up to continue their conversation. And I just started realizing, like, we all feel that shame. Yeah. And I think, for me, one of the things that I had to shift was my mindset. Um, I realized a couple years post-divorce that I kept hearing a negative voice in my head. So mm. if I'm getting ready to start a coaching business, I start hearing, you're not a good time manager and you know, you really don't have great business skills and you're definitely not a leader. And I remember just having this moment where I'm like, whose voice is that in my head? Mm. And realizing it was actually the voice of my ex-husband and becoming super conscious of wow. I I don't want that voice in my head anymore. I want it to be God's voice in my head. So sitting down and be super intentional with my Bible and my journal of what does God say about me? And what do I know to be true about myself? Because I've been doing this work to for on identity to remember who I am and who I'm yeah. created to be. So what do I know to be true about self? And I just stuck post-it notes all over my house, on my laptop, in my car. Whose voice do I hear? Let it be God's. So that that shame would not overtake me. And I think if we all dig in to identify what that negative voice is in our head, sometimes it's an elementary school teacher who told Mm -hmm. us that we weren't smart enough, or maybe a coach who said we wouldn't amount to anything, or a past relationship, or maybe even a parent who spoke negative things over us. If we take the time to identify that voice and prayerfully, repeatedly ask God to remove that voice and replace it with who He says we are, it really helps take away that shame in our lives. Wow. Um, and it helps release us. We're looking for release from that shame, and, mm-hmm. and God's there to provide that release um, in leaning into Him. Wow. Man, that's so good. That's so good. Brady, I'm curious as we, as we close, you know, you've uh, no doubt had the opportunity to interact with so many uh, women and uh, probably men as well, but who ha- are experiencing divorce have found themselves in the throes of like that moment where they've found out their spouse has been unfaithful or their spouse is leaving. Suppose there's someone who, who's listening to this right now. That's where they've found themselves. What would you, what would you say to them? Yeah, I think I would tell them a couple of things. One is that you just need to take it one day at a time. Um, when we are walking through tragedy and trauma and grief, it is so easy to get overwhelmed. And I yeah. can remember thinking like, you know, what is my life going to look like when my kid graduates and I go, he goes to college? And what will my life look like in six months? Where are we going to live? And will I ever get remarried again? And will I ever be loved? And, and we end up jumping so far ahead that we paralyze ourselves out of fear. So to remember that you just have to take it one day at a time. You don't have to think about six months from now or six weeks from now or six years from now to to get up that day and think, what are the conversations I need to have? What actions do I need to take today? What, um, What are the tasks I need to accomplish today? And then when you get to the end of that day, celebrate the fact that you made it. I made it through another day. And to just take it one day at a time. And I think the other 
Davey, in those conversations that you've mentioned, I have gotten to talk to a lot of people walking through divorce and they, they do ask, am I going to be okay? And Mm. I realized that the answer I always told them was, you're going to be better than okay. And you will. That is the truth of the situation. If you are willing to lean in and do the work of healing and to make sure that you are connecting with God and walking that journey of healing with Him, then you will find yourself at a point where you're laughing again, you're smiling again, you're enjoying life again. You're not sad as much on the inside, and you will be better than okay. Yeah, wow, that's so good. Brandy, thank you so much. This has been awesome. I want to make sure everybody gets access to Better Than Okay, Finding Hope and Healing After Your Marriage Ends. We're going to put a link right here in the show notes, and everyone needs to pick this up when it releases. July, what's the release date for it? July 11th. 7-Eleven, oh, National Slurpee Day. I'm so National honored. Day. You know, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. National right? Slurpee Day, 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brandy, it's just been, it's been remarkable to see how the Lord has been working in you and through you um, after this. And, and I'm just, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the work that you're doing as you're leaning in. This could have really, I mean, it, it could have derailed you for sure. And it has for so many other people, it has. But you have stayed faithful. You've stayed true. You've kept your eyes on the Lord through all of it. And you can tell that he's moving mightily in your life and praying the same thing for your family, your kids, you know, everybody that is also affected by this. I know that God's going to continue to make his promises known and and true in their life as well. But thank you for spending time with us. Is there there anywhere that we can follow along that we can come along the journey with you? Yep. My website is lovebrandywilson.com. It's Brandy with an I. And then my Instagram is lovebrandywilson as well. And then on Facebook, I'm Brandy Wilson. So yep, I can be found all of those places. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been an honor to have a conversation with you. Oh, thank you. The honor is mine, baby. Wow. What what a great conversation. You know, an interesting fact, Ken, um, one of the things that maybe those of you guys who are watching this on YouTube, you're listening to this on some kind of podcast platform you're not aware of, is that our former podcast producer, Taylor Carlier, yeah. she now works as um, one on the marketing team uh, and producing the podcast down at Crosspoint Church in Nashville. Okay, and, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. and we just had we just had lunch with her, and uh, she was talking about the health of Crossroads and what's going on there. And it's it's really a remarkable story because when you when something like this happens, typically in a church, right, you end up seeing the implosion of that church. But that church is thriving under new leadership, and it really is a very healthy, vibrant church, which is it, which is awesome. One, it reminds us that churches are not and cannot be built around personalities, but it also just reminds us of the graciousness of God that would keep a thriving community that's a staple in that city alive and well, even in the midst of, you know, this kind of crisis. Well, I'm glad that Brandy's sharing her story and has written a book on it, et cetera, because obviously it's, it's so needed. And oftentimes, you know, people who have a large public profile like that, you know, they need to go underground for a while just to, for their own process and their own healing, but then some of them don't come back up and really share Mm. from a healthy point of view, kind of where they're at their journey. So it helps all of us who are in the trenches of, of leading and in the local church to really hear a voice that's been there. Yeah. And like you said, has leaned into it and God's uh, continued to redeem her story. And I would say helping a lot of other leaders redeem theirs as well. 
Yeah, so true. This is going to be such a, a great thing for leaders to derive encouragement from uh, because there's a lot of leaders that find themselves in the, at the point of crisis, which is, by the way, something you've been doing for a while now, even before yeah. you and I connected. Yeah. You were helping leaders, business leaders, marketplace leaders, church leaders, leaders of all sorts, helping them in, in places of what you call caution, uh, crisis, convergence, multiple different facets of their life. You help them beat the odds um, and finish well. So can can you talk a little bit about that? Because that really plays into a lot of what we're doing now as a ministry yeah. in terms of kind of realigning and refocusing where we're going. Yes, part of the pivot or transition or broadening that we've we've entered into this, you know, this this season. Yeah, two stats that I think go with that and ties in with what Randy shared is that the stats are only one out of 10 who actually start in ministry finish in ministry. Now they may they may get out for different reasons. You know, it may they may realize it's not their call. They may have to get out because of finances. They may have to get out because of sickness. It's always not always a negative reason, mm-hmm. you know, but only one out of ten who actually go to school, go to Bible college, start in ministry will end their vocation in ministry. That's a stat. But the second stat and the one that I work with a lot is that um, only one out of three church leaders finish well. Wow. And that's been, you know, from data from a lot of different studies, that's not just an idea or, you know, number that's, that's been grabbed. Only one out of three who actually start will finish well. And for me, I define, you know, what finishing well means. I think, I think it's important for me. Finishing well for a leader means, you know, uh, we're still in love uh, with God with an open heart and open mm-hmm. and faith-filled heart toward him. So wherever we're at in our life, we're still leaning into him. He's in us. That's one can, can I stop you right there? Because I think yeah. that's one of the most like critical, I think it is the most critical evaluation point for us, yeah. right? Yeah. The most critical lead indicator for us on whether or not we're doing well. And that's what I appreciate about what you've done in my life personally. Every time we have a like kind of just a, a friend to friend talk, we're outside of talking about business or strategy and stuff like that. You'll say, how how are you? Is your inner life lining up with your outer life? Or right. is there incongruency there? And it causes me to pause a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. Because it's a very authentic, introspective, reflective question that forces you to do what almost like what David says in, you know, in the Psalms where he says, Search my heart, oh God. Yeah. Am I still madly passionately in love with Jesus. And if I'm not, I don't need to feel ashamed about that. If I'm if there were if I can point to other seasons of my life where I felt more intimately uh r- relating with with the Lord, then I don't need to feel shamed about but I just need to go, okay, well there's something or there's something that's a little bit off. How do I reorient back into doing the things or setting up the the systems or the the rules of life that we're fostering that? at one point in my life. So yeah. I just, I want to pause there because I appreciate how genuine that question is. It really causes you to, to reflect. Yeah. For many church leaders, not all, you know, but for many, sometimes the longer we go, the more jaded we become, closed we become, cynical we become. And so that is really an indicator of what's happening in us. I always say that, you know, God's an inside out God. Mm. What's happening in us is the most important thing about us. Because that's where life will spring or other things will spring as well. So while we're in this thing, you know, kind of doing the work, we always have to be asking, you know, really what's happening in me? Who am I becoming? What's being planted, good or bad? Because that is really the, you know, the wellspring of life and our leadership. So that's the first thing. So the longer we go, you know, are we still in love? Are we still faith-filled? Are we still open-handed? Are we still pliable in our heart toward God? That's a big thing with finishing well. The second thing, you know, again, are we loving our, our wife? 
uh, our spouse, our kids, our grandkids, and our circle of influence, and and showing an example of ongoing leaning into our life and God with them. So our circle around us, that's the second thing. And then the third indicator I talk about finishing well is that we're still leaning into our assignment in the kingdom in whatever season we're in. And those assignments are going to change. Sometimes we're a lead person. Sometimes we're writing. Sometimes we're speaking. Sometimes we're an intercessor. Sometimes we're coaching others. So it will always change, but we're still, no matter where we're at, we're still kind of leaning into whatever that assignment is. And I think that's the Matthew, you know, 25, well done, good and faithful servant. That's right. Yeah. So so that's what I've done and what I do. And I love doing it. It's part of my own journey. Uh, And then what I also help with other leaders with, there's usually two times where many leaders get stuck and they're most, Mm -hmm. they're most, the most critical season in the life of a leader of whether they will finish well or not. And one is what I call the caution slash crisis zone. Mm. For some people, it's a direct crisis. For you, with the passing of Amanda, it was a direct crisis. For me, I lost my wife 19 years ago in a car accident. It was a, I was pushed into a crisis. Right. For other, it's simply a caution. They know they're in white water. It's the accumulation of uh, pressure in our marriage. It's the accumulation of betrayal. It's the accumulation of disappointments. It's the accumulation of conflict. And, and, and what happens is we know we're in white water. And what I say is how we navigate that white water can determine whether it becomes a crisis or not. So mm. I call that the caution versus crisis zone. That's the first big one. And that's really the most critical one. Every leader will go through it at some point. Eugene Peterson wrote about it. And he calls it, you know, the badlands. Mm. Every leader will go through the badlands. And we will at some point. So that's a very critical juncture. And the second one is what I call convergence. It's not my language. It's been borrowed from others who've talked about this. But convergence is when a leader is moving into the next area of their focus and the next area of their sweet spot for their kingdom contribution. They're taking their sovereign foundation, their life experiences, their ministry experiences, their gifts, their passions, what has shaped them, and they're finding what are the three nails I'm supposed to hit next Mm. to make the most contribution. And many leaders will stall out right before that and not move into convergence. So that's what I do, and that's what I love to do. And I'm, I'm honest, honestly, I'm, be, I'm honored to be a part of uh, nothing is wasted in helping individuals, but also a lot of leaders move into those areas and ho- hopefully finish well. Right. You know, it's interesting as you were talking about that. I was thinking about, you know, yeah, we have leaders, church leaders, pastors, uh, pastors' wives that are listening to this right now. They're watching this on YouTube, and they can relate to that. They're like, oh my gosh, yes, that you just gave me a un- unbelievable framework. You put words to something that I have been experiencing, but I didn't know how to describe that. That framework is also the same framework that everybody's going through, right? I mean, we work with so many people who are in crisis, who have found themselves in maybe seasons of life of whitewater. You know, we talk about the avoidable pain points and the unavoidable pain points, things Mm -hmm. that we can't control that were done to us or that were brought into our life outside of our control. And then avoidable pain points, things that, you know, as a consequence of our own choices, or maybe our life came to a place of white water in such a way that we were not stewarding it well, it led to poor decisions. And and so we found ourselves in these places of pain because of that. And so when I'm sitting here listening, I'm going, man, this is not just a leader's journey, right? But this is also everyone's journey. And that critical place is in the badlands getting stuck or getting paralyzed in that and not being able to move into the redemptive purposes that God has for you in convergence. You know, with pain to purpose, we talk about what it looks like to begin to triangulate. Okay, how has God built me? And what kinds of passions and personalities has he put inside of me? And 
What's a great need that the world has that now my pain journey can specifically and uniquely speak into and make a difference in that need in the world? And that's going from pain to purpose. And so it's so in a leader's life, though, that journey is, it seems to be amplified or magnified, right? All, all the eyes are on that leader and the ripple effect or the fallout of a quote unquote crisis of their life seems to have a bigger impact. Yeah, I think some of the, you know, the, the draw to some of the things that we're doing and, and other ministries do them as well, but, you know, is what you just said, you know, is that there's not only dealing with the, the pain that comes to many different ways, but there is the, if we will lean into God, that's the language I use while we're in these seasons, God will heal us and he'll, all, he'll all always redeem it. He will redeem. It. And I think that for that, that, that God view, that full loop is really what's really important. What I tell leaders who are in, you know, in whitewater and crisis, I tell them they have really there's three options that I see. And I say one is a turn to the right. I'll just let's just say there's three paths in front of you. One's a turn to the right, which is called what I call, you know, the religious op, religious option. And what that mean by that is we just, you know, lower our head, grind through it and don't deal with really what's happening. Right. We just we just keep performing, keep doing that. That never ends up well for those and those and those you're leading. So that's mm-hmm. the one. A lot of a lot of leaders will do that. Second one is what I call, you know, the, the ditch to the left. And that's when a leader just decides to, in some way, you know, jump off a cliff. They mm-hmm. sabotage their life, their leadership. They, yep. you know, they do dumb choices, they, you know, whatever type of thing. Those are the two options we often see, those two areas. But my appeal is you've got to go through it. Mm. And if you go through it, the third option, that's what I call the transformational choice. That really is, you know, God does his greatest work in the wilderness. Yeah. So I appeal to leaders, you're in it, we're in a tough season. I've been in a tough season more than once. But if we will go through it with God and let him do the work, he'll do something deep first in us. Mm. And then as we get through it, he'll do something mo- more profoundly through us. Yeah. In us and then through us. And wow. so that's the transformational choice. Wow. Wow. Well, you guys can see why uh, Ken Roberts is probably <laughs> the most critical part of our team because the wisdom that he brings to our team. I mean, Ken, you know, we we sit in team meetings and it's like we, we all kind of are like, we got these great ideas. Let's go and move in this direction. And Ken is able to like really focus us in on like, okay, why are we doing this? What's the, what is God really calling us to? And you bring so much strategy to the equation. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about strategy they were talking about how much they shy away from that word because it seems like sometimes it can be misused or it can seem like manipulation in terms of like, oh, this is how we're trying to leverage someone else's, whether it's someone's pain or something in order to get them to do what we want them to do. And, and, I, and I challenged this person. I was like, hey, think about it differently. Strategy is stewardship, right? That when we recognize that there is a need out there as a team, what we do is we sit down and we go, how can we build a strategy that stewards this position that God has put us in for a time such as this to meet the needs that we're seeing in front of us. Because if we don't meet these needs, God's going to use somebody else. It's just like in, in, you know, in Esther, right? Where, where Mordecai comes to Esther and goes, Hey, if you don't step up right now, God's going to deliver his people somehow, some way using someone, but he has positioned you for a time such as this. And we feel that as a ministry, we don't feel like we're the point of, we're not going to help everybody in their pain. There's so many great ministries out there, but we do feel a sense of responsibility of stewardship, even more critically in this season right now to say, there's a great need 
that need has been made aware to us, almost like Philip and the Macedonians, where it's like, come over here, come over here. We need, we need you. Right. That's some of the shift that we're seeing right now, or pivot that we're seeing in our ministry. You know, we spent so much, so many years building content, good community, and coaching specifically for the individual. Right. Yeah. You're listening to this as a pot, you know, you're, this podcast, you probably have individually and personally been impacted by this. Or you've shared this with somebody else in your life, a friend or a family member who's going through some kind of pain point. But what we've seen is over the past couple of years, what God has done is there have been pastors and church leaders have reached out to us and said, can we also use this curriculum? Can we also, whatever God is doing right now with it, we're, we're seeing the impact. Can we leverage this impact in our church? And then at the beginning of, well, it was really the end of 2022, we began having conversations with other church networks like ARC and the 95 Network and New Spring Network and different networks that were saying, hey, we want to we want to utilize these resources that you guys have somehow to help the congregants in our church, but also to help our leaders, our pastors. And so, it, you know, when it comes to strategy, there's so many times, Ken, and you know this, we can plan, like man plans his ways, but God directs his steps, you know, you can kind of plan like, oh, this is what we think is going to happen. And five years ago, I would have never been able to tell you, Mm. first of all, that nothing is wasted ministries was going to be a full-fledged ministry and not just a podcast and would have never been able to tell you, this is what we would be doing. But as we're just following the lead of the Lord, we're, we're seeing God open up some of these doors, which is why we feel like we're at such a critical stage of our ministry right now. We're poised and positioned for, for major impact. I love the way that you took that, that through the kingdom lens, you know, of being strategic, but it's really about kingdom stewardship because it really is. And you're also aware, I think, that, you know, the, the, the idea around success, as we've often put it, you know, in the Western, Western world, biblically has more to do with faithfulness. That's how yeah. it's defined, wow. being faithful with what God's given us. And, I, you know, Davey, I, 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 can, I, I can think, I, I can say, I think this is true in our hearts, that we're just in a season where, we're trying to be as intentional as we can, but with you know, real with humility, we're yeah. also trying to re- we're trying to be faithful to steward what God's given us. Like you said, that we've kind of almost stu- we've stumbled into. Yeah, and yet it is a very very important time in the life of our ministry. Yeah, it's very true. We're going to talk more about this next episode. We have a great episode next week, by the way, with none other than Christine Kane. Yeah, well, awesome. I mean the goat, right? Yeah, and right. So you you won't want to miss this, but Ken's going to be back on with me to co-host that episode. We'll talk more and dive deeper into what we're doing. But I want to make sure that you guys understand we're in the middle of this Give Hope campaign. And the reason for this is we are unapologetically asking that if you have been impacted by this ministry, if uh, your friends or family have been impacted by this ministry, would you consider partnering with us financially? Absolutely. We want you to partner with us in prayer. I mean, we we could use... When you're going into the darkness, right? Into people's pain, this is the area the enemy wants to paralyze people. I feel like the most in their life, yeah. there's so much spiritual attack that happens on our family, on the families of our team members. So we need your prayer. But we also want to ask you to partner with us financially. During this Give Hope campaign, we're looking for 200 people who would be willing to say, hey, I will partner at a $20 a month or more level, or a $200 a year or more level that would say, I've been impacted by this. I want to continue to pay this forward so more people can be impacted by this. And so what we're doing is we're asking you to help us. We're looking, we're, we're doing Give Hope and it's it's called Give Hope because we feel like there's hope for the many 
but healing for the one. And so what we're doing is we're sharing some stories of people, individuals who've been impacted by this ministry. So you can go and hear the testimonies of people where Nothing Is Wasted Ministries intersected them at a very critical moment and brought them to a place in their relationship with the Lord where they could find hope and healing. And so if you go to nothingiswasted.com slash givehope, nothingiswasted.com slash givehope, we actually have a couple of things there. We have some of those stories. We have a video uh, where I'm just explaining some of the stuff that's coming down the pike. Ken and I will talk more about that as well in the next episode. We have a place where you can partner with us, where you can give. You can sign up to give in that recurring donation. And we also have a PDF right there that opens up. It's kind of like this big document that opens up a lot of where we're going, what kind of our, why we are strategically in some ways pivoting, what kinds of things are opening up, how we're broadening the ministry, um, the different things that are coming down the pike. And so you can, if you're the type of person that likes to read through strategic plans, you get a, a very big glimpse into our strategic plan over the next three to five years. Um, and that's what's so cool about this, Ken. This is probably the first time in our in our ministry's history that we've had so much clarity, such a revelation from the Lord yeah. that we feel like, oh, we can create a strategic plan yeah. for the next five years. Yeah, I'd encourage people, you know, if they're that type of, where they enjoy that information and that you've opened that up to them, it's like opening up the hood, you know, being able to really get a really, really clear of where we've been, where we're hoping to go, to go and what we need to get there. Yeah. So, We'll talk document. more about that next episode. Uh, if you, if there's any way we can help, we would love to help you as your partner with God to take back your story. You can go to nothingiswasted.com. We'd love to encourage you to rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform, uh, Apple Podcast app. It's really helpful for us to hear how this is impacting you. And we'd love for you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, make sure that you share anything that we've got going on right there so more people can have access to these encouraging stories. And um, next week, we have a conversation with Christine Kane. Ken will be back with me. Go ahead and listen to this little clip from my conversation with Christine. Jesus is the only one that's split time, not, not mm. COVID or not a, a riot or not political instability. Jesus did. Wow. Therefore... If in 1 Corinthians it says all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes and amen, then if Jesus split time, all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes and amen, therefore if whatever promise God has for our lives and our churches, they're still in Christ Jesus, yes and amen, because He is the amen. same yesterday, today and forever. Yes. So yes. nothing's actually changed even though everything's changed. Mm. The only difference is we had hoped things would look different now. We Absolutely. had hoped those people would come back. We had hoped we would not have been betrayed. We had yeah. hoped we would not have had so much loss or so much grief or whatever it may be, yeah. Yeah. just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We had hoped. Mm. Well, I think all that has happened over the last few years is what has been revealed is our misplaced hopes. Absolutely. Because Jesus is like, I'm this hope you have as an anchor for your soul, both firm and secure. Since you've lost your mind, <laughs> maybe what's been revealed is that I wasn't your hope. Maybe that's what has been revealed. 